Hey, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I'm Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. Today we have on Chuck Box, head baseball coach and assistant athletic director at Hartfield Academy in Mississippi. We flipped the script on the episode a little bit today, and so Chuck takes us through an entire year of what they do at Hartfield. We go over individual player development plans, schedules, culture building, and so, so much more. If you want a practical episode, this one is for you. And if you want an in-depth guide on video for some things that may not come through on audio, the link is posted below for the YouTube channel. You're gonna love this episode. And here is Chuck Box. So Chuck, welcome to the show. And again, I appreciate you coming on and, and I know that we've got a PowerPoint for you uh, and that you sent over, which is fantastic. But uh, if if we could, and, and again, this is going to be turned into a podcast as well, we'll try and do our best for uh, the listeners listening on a podcast, but you can, they can also find this on YouTube uh, as well, and they can see the video from this. But Chuck, welcome to the show. We're, we're glad to have you on. And if you don't mind, just kind of walk us through how you decided to get into coaching and a little bit about your baseball background. Well, thanks for having me, man. It's always a pleasure. I love talking ball. I wanted to be the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, Jonathan. That's, that's growing up. You know, I see Sherm's on there. He's one of fellow Cowboy fan down there in a, in a necktie. Um, but uh, I was 5'6", mm-hmm. and I ran a 5-flat 40. A it was a quick 5-flat 40, but it was a 5-flat 40 nonetheless. Um, <laughs> and then when I went to school, I was a finance major. I wanted to be a stockbroker. I wanted to wear Armani suits and drive a Ferrari. Um, but I was bad at math. So mm-hmm. I decided to go into coaching. And I, I did, in all seriousness, I grew up, I had really great coaches. And my, my dad obviously was, was, a, was a mentor. And Sammy Fletcher was my high school baseball coach. He played at Mississippi State, played in the Red Sox organization. He influenced me greatly. And mm-hmm. also came up about the time that Coach Polk was um, really building Mississippi State into a powerhouse and really transforming um, SEC base. Also was coming up at a time when college baseball was still in the infancy of, of growing uh, used to, there was just a game on Sunday night, the ESPN game. There's probably nobody on here. Maybe Borbs is old enough to remember that. I, it just had an impact on me, and I knew I wanted to be a baseball coach. And um, I went to went to school. And my junior year, I got hurt. I wasn't a very good player. Um, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't hit like some of the guys on this call. And I realized that uh, I probably didn't have a future as a player. And uh, <laughs> I became a student assistant coach my junior year of college. It's the best thing I ever did. It really got me ahead of everybody else. And uh, then I was at Mississippi College for one year as a GA, and then I went back to Freed Hart and McKenna Co- uh, College head coach at the age of 24. Spent about 12 years in the college game, and then 14 years ago, I switched over to high school. Um, I got out of coaching for a year to be an assistant athletic director and was pretty miserable doing that and knew I wanted to coach, and I went back into coaching, and uh, this is uh, year 25, I guess, as a head coach. So here I am. Oh, that's crazy. I wouldn't have believed it. Yeah, 51, yep. So what's, what's the joke with, with your hair? Because uh, I've seen it on Twitter. Well, yeah. So, so, uh, I've, I've had short hair for a long time and, uh, at least I have hair unlike some of the guys on the call. Um, <laughs> uh, but I couldn't go get a haircut since January. And, um, mm-hmm. and so I finally got a cut money, but it was pretty bad. Nice. My hair, it, yeah, it was out. Of, it was, I was in the middle of a really bad hair phase. So somebody asked me if I was going through a midlife crisis. That's funny. To the, to the barber right. to get my hair cut. So I got a cut the other day. And, you know, they, they, they'll find anything to make fun of you about. John. You know how hey, that that's, works. that's when you so, know they're good friends, right? I think, yeah, well, maybe allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> that's 
That's funny. All right. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and get this PowerPoint going. So just give me just a second here and we'll just kind of, so I'm going to do it a little bit different because I, I really want to base it upon uh, what you've got going on. And so instead of like the usual question list, we'll, we'll just take it through a year. I'm going to have you take us through a year and then I'm just going to have, uh, I'm just going to ask questions as we go along here. And then, and then again, same thing in the sidebar guys, if, if something comes up and you want to see it more, uh, I can't really see the chat function throughout this, but we'll try and get to it at the end uh, if we have time. And I know that this is about 40 slides. So uh, we've got some, we, we're going to be in depth with some different things that we're going, but let's go ahead and get started with this again, Chuck, welcome to the show. And, and <laughs> sorry for putting Hartford baseball on Twitter. Oh, that that's okay. That, 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 it, it, it's just a name, but um, yeah. So First of all, uh, one of the things I always try to say when I speak, anywhere that I speak, and I love this quote by Shepard Ferry, who was a guy that created Obey. He's a really interesting graffiti artist. He's someone you should very unique in, in, in his approach to his, his craft. But I always put this up here because I'm always afraid when I speak or when I talk that I'm not going to give someone credit. So I just want to say up front that most of this stuff that I'm talking about has been stolen borrowed, adapted, um, you know, it's just a combination of a lot of different things. And I love this quote because my work is a melting pot of a lot of different things. So, you know, first of all, that's the, the first thing that I want to want to talk about. But the second thing too is to understand that when I go to speak, there's so many great people out here. There's some guys on this call that know a lot more about baseball than I do. You know, Jeff Sherm's one of the best hitting guys in the country. And I, I can't do what he does with hitters, but um, what I want to do is give coaches something that they can walk out of this call and take back into their program and implement or do. Or So the stuff I want to talk about is really practical. It's stuff that anybody can do. It doesn't cost a lot of money. Um, and, and so anytime I speak, those are two things that I want to talk about right away, Jonathan. So I want to, that's kind of the baseline to start it. Uh, so you want to go ahead and talk about the fall. Is that the next thing here? Yeah. So one of the things that Jonathan asked me to talk about is, is, is just how do we script a year and he specifically asked me about the fall. And so what we've done over the past, actually we've kind of really fine-tuned it over the last couple of weeks, is we have our year in 10 phases. And there's two really heavy rest and recovery phases. So there's basically eight phases. So you asked me about the fall. As we're going into the fall, you can see that we have, you know, basically three phases in the fall. So when we come back in August, we'll start what we call phase one. So each phase has a different emphasis and a different measurable. So basically, phase one, when we come back, we'll be working on movement, strength, toughness. We do a total body assessment, and we, we do a hitting assessment to kind of find out where our guys are. We use some technology. We use RepSoto. We use Blast, a couple other things that we try to implement. But it's basically our time to assess what our guys can and can't do. Uh, then we kind of gravitate into what we call fall skill, which we're still doing movement, strength, and toughness. But that's when we start our throwing hitting, and I'll show you that in a minute how we do it. But the year is basically phased, um, really phase eight work phases. The next phase will show you. I mean, the next slide will show you a little bit more about what I'm talking about. So, what are your time restrictions? Like, what what time period? Are we, we have no time here? restrictions, man. That's the, the oh, Mississippi wow. private schools. We can pretty much do anything that we want. Now, wow. some of the people down here will almost treat it like a college fall, where they'll do four on one work, and then they'll go into some scrimmages. I, I don't do that. We, we try to slow cook our kids and really build a base, a foundation of movement. And we progress as we go through and we start adding things. So 
for us, when we come back, I'm a big fan of uh, Zach DeCant at TCU. And, the, you know, so the first week of our lifting, I'll show you in a minute, we don't, we don't have weight. We do the same workout every day for five days. Week two, or phase two, we start introducing weight. And so we might do weight three days a week and body weight two days a week. And then we'll progress into a three-day a week lift. And when we get into the three-day a week lift, we start introducing throwing progression. We start introducing skill work. So we kind of slow cook our guys. It's a different approach. And I want to be good at May. I, I, I don't want to win a championship in January. I want to win it in May. So I want our guys to be at their best. And I think we've had a lot of success being really good late in the year. And I don't like the word peak. I just want to get better every day. And if I get better every day, by the end, I'm, I'm pretty good. So anyway, uh, that's kind of an idea of the phases. The next slide will kind of show you. I, one of the things that I told Jonathan, um, I don't like putting a lot of text on a PowerPoint, but I put these up here so you can kind of see what we're doing. This is actually a screenshot of, of, a, of, of our fall from last fall. But you can kind of see how it works. We, the first five or six weeks, strength testing, and then we progress into our throwing progression and our skill work. And then towards the end, um, we start transitioning more into to baseball. And then after Thanksgiving, we do what we call a mini camp, seven-day mini camp. I've done it anywhere from four days to 10 days, but seven days is kind of our sweet spot. And it's really similar to an NFL mini camp where we implement or install all of our stuff. So think about football spring training, but it's done in a seven-day period or, or NFL mini camp, seven-day period. So what that does when we come back after Christmas, it allows us from day one to get right into what we're doing. In other words, the first time we run a drill is not the first time the kids have seen it. We have at least introduced it in the classroom and on the field before we do it. So you can kind of see how that flows uh, into the season. But that's a typical fall for us. I think the next slide will show you a little bit more in depth of what we do. Okay. Uh, Sherm was one, was curious on if is there any any skill development within um, the strength training during this the strength first, training phase? The first phase there is not. Phase one there is no skill work, and that the, the okay. thought process behind that Sherm is that they've just come off playing an entire summer. It's kind of our ramp down phase of our throwing. We wanted to really put the baseball down. Now some of our kids will continue to throw. A lot of our guys are are doing you know hitting instructors. A lot, so there's still some stuff going on, but it's not mandated from us it's more them uh, plus I'll be honest with you I want our guys to get a little bit of rest in July uh, we don't coach our kids in the summer like a lot of people do and I, it, that is one of the best things that I've done we treat it very much like college we ship our guys off they go off and play the reason I like it they get to go play for some great guys they bring new ideas into our program and you know honestly we go so hard from August to May they don't need to hear my voice they, they need a break for me and so it really works for us. It may not work for everybody on the call, but I, I really like the idea of them having a little bit of downtime in July. And then the other thing that we've seen by not doing a lot of uh, mandatory skill work is they can just concentrate on movement and strength. They're not worried about doing something else. Mm -hmm. um, the heat down here is really, really rough. And if we try to do everything from day one, it's pretty hard. Uh, but it's worked for us, and we kind of slowly implement it. And move. Now, our guys will still do stuff, but it's more on their own, and it's optional. All right, this so what next, we got going on here? Well, this next clip kind of shows you uh, – I just pulled a week out, so that's a typical week. You kind of asked me to show you what a typical week looks like. So okay. that's a little bit further. Uh, that's in September, so you can see that we're doing uh, – we're lifting three days a week. We're doing throwing progression five days a week, and we're doing skill two days a week. So this is kind of idea of, of what some of our skill work looks like. 
uh, the, the one at the, at the top uh, of, of the screen is a guy doing a PVC drill. This is a guy who um, didn't have real good posture. This is actually a drill I, I saw George Whitfield do, the quarterback guru that he does mm -hmm. with quarterbacks. I love this drill. It's really good for catchers, too. If you have a guy that has trouble staying stacked or, or his, his you know, body in line, I call it being stacked, it's a really good drill for that. And then on the bottom, we're, we're in, the, in the fall, we don't um, – we don't – they haven't earned their, their practice gear yet, so they're just wearing whatever. Uh, so this is pretty raw footage, but this is just a redirect drill. You guys have all seen the drill that Kai does. Uh, we kind of do a series where we do um, ground balls with a hack attack. You guys have all seen it. And then a redirect drill, and then we're transitioning to a relay drill. So this kind of gives you an idea of, of what we're doing. Uh, the, the other form up at the top that's color-coded is our practice master sheet that I put on Twitter a good bit, but that's our throwing progression. So. As we entered, that's our time to introduce the throwing progression. So from day one, we don't do the entire throwing progression. We might introduce a piece of it, and each day we kind of add to it. But it's pretty in-depth, and we do that every day. We do that five days a week uh, up until we start our bullpens. We will throw – this past year, we threw three bullpens before, Christmas, before Thanksgiving. Um, so we, 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 we got into the ramp up. We were where we were, uh, I think, week seven or eight. We threw our pins, and then we had a two-week ramp down after um, – Thanksgiving, and then we start the on-ramp about six weeks. So when we come back in January, the first week of January, they're throwing a bullpen. The second week of January, we're, we're starting our inner squads. So it's a little different. Like a lot of you guys can't do that when you come back in January. So your throwing's pushed back a little bit. Ours is, is, is pushed up a little bit. Very similar to what a lot of the colleges are doing. Is, is we're at, and our guys actually throw over Christmas break. Uh, our guys are at the facility a good bit over Christmas break. So they don't really miss any time throwing. So by the time we start practice, they're at about week six of a throwing progression. So this just kind of gives you an idea of some of the stuff that we do uh, in the fall. Do you, do, you, do you just want me to go right in and just go off the questions? or do you, So you, we, you, you asked me to talk a little bit about culture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, love, I love to talk about this, but, I, you know, the thing about culture is, um, you know, Bill Moziello said this one time, if you have to talk about culture a lot, you probably don't have it. And Bush Chaffin said that culture looks different everywhere. So, I, you know, when you talk about culture, my culture may be different than yours. And some of the things that I do, you may not be able to do. But I put this slide up here and I show this slide a lot because I think culture involves everything that you do. And I love to say and how you do anything is how you do everything. And this picture is a picture of our storage room when I got the job here. And the one at the top is what it looked like. And that's a great illustration of where our program was. You know what? We had some, we had some equipment. We had some gear. We had some of the resources, but not enough. We didn't have enough to make our guys great. And what we did have wasn't very, have, wasn't very organized. It, it wasn't very structured. And so the first thing I did, John, is I cleaned out this, the storage room. And the reason I put that picture up there, that was a constant battle. That was a battle with our players. It was a battle with our coaches. And I would get pissed off when they wouldn't put stuff back up the right way. But that picture was taken about two years into our culture build. And now the guys just put the stuff back. But it has become a part of what we do. But as the cultural leader of a program, you have to be relentless every day. You can't just talk about culture and it happen. It has to be something that you just hammer. And sometimes you have, to be the bad, you have to be the bad guy you know, sometimes, but that's kind of how I introduce culture um, into our program is an everyday thing. The next slide, I'll, I'll, it'll show you a little bit more about what I'm talking about. So, 
some of the things that we do to implement our, our culture and everybody probably on this call has core covenants or pillars. And I know some of the guys are, you know, have probably better than this, but this is an example of what we've done with our core covenants, passion, excellence, selflessness, and, and being undeniable. And undeniable was already a word that was used in our program. But then what we've did is we ask our guys to define what culture looks like in the four areas that we're trying to grow. We're trying to grow our kids academically, athletically, socially, and spiritually. So, our guys put this together. How does culture look? How does passion look in, in uh, your spiritual life? What does excellence look like in the classroom? So the reason I think this is so important, this is, drives every decision that I, I make on a daily basis. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about our guys. I'm thinking about how we develop our program. This is my math. And if it doesn't fall into these realms, I'm probably not going to do it. So I think for anybody that's talking about culture, you've got to define the, the parameters, the pillars, the core covenants, whatever you want to call it, of your culture. Um, and then that needs to guide your decisions. So I think that's another thing when we think about culture that's really, really important. So on, on two things uh, regarding that, number one, how did you decide uh, what was important? Uh, because I, I know that I love that quote too of, of how we do anything is how we do everything. But we... <laughs> We as coaches, we can't do everything. Like we can't hammer them on literally every single thing that we that that comes up because then we'll lose them and they'll think that you know it's it's a military program, right? And so you've specifically chosen a couple of different areas that are important to you. Tell us why you chose those. Like where where did you decide to put your foot down? And then uh, with these core covenants, how do you teach them? And we may be getting into the into some slides later, but I did yeah, want to ask you that. Absolutely, got them up. absolutely. The first question, um, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I do hammer them on everything, and it's not so much a, a, a I'm on them constantly and just driving them, but it's like everything we do does matter. How you sit in the classroom, how you take notes, and my old self, my younger coach, I was probably I'm worried about losing them. Um, having raised two children now and knowing what I know. I don't think like that anymore because kids, they need what we're giving them. And, and I'm not trying to be their friend. I'm trying to be their coach. And so I do, I, I don't know that I do let up. Um, and I may sound like, you know, a, a, a military tyrant. I'm really not. And I think <laughs> once the guys, the, the beautiful thing about culture is mm -hmm. once your kids understand it, then they, the kids that you want start, they start, you're drawing them to your program and it mm -hmm. becomes a part of your DNA. And it becomes a hard part of who you are. But the, the early part of it, Jonathan, I, I, I don't know that I ever let up. Um, I can let up now because our guys know what to expect. And not only do they know what to expect, they like it. They, they're proud of it. They're proud that if you came in our locker room at 3 a.m. or 3 p.m., it's going to be recruit ready and donor ready. They know – they like that. They like the fact that if you drive up to our facility, it's clean, it's neat. So I think early on I did hammer them. And I, and, I, and, I, and I mean, I've ran some kids off, and there's some kids that don't like me, but the standard is the standard. If you want to be mediocre, don't come here. And, and I love what okay. Nick Saban said. If you, if you want to be loved, go sell ice cream, man. Like, you know, and it's not for everybody. What we do is not for everybody. But I, don't, I think that I, I did. I hammered them early. Um, I think the next slide kind of gets into some of the things that we do. Um, this is a program that we started a couple of years ago called Success Leaves Clues, and the school where I used to coach Jackson Prep had the Global Leadership Institute, which was an amazing initiative that they put together to teach leadership. And I knew we needed something here because I kind of felt like we had a leadership vacuum. There were a couple of things that happened that really were odd that 
You know, our kids couldn't speak to adults. My wife went on a, a road trip with us on the bus one day and she made a comment to me when the kids got off, we had 25 kids and only one of them spoke to her, you know, and it didn't hurt her feelings, but it was just kind of bizarre. So we started talking about putting something together. That's a, that's a life skills leadership um, program. And the thing, the thing that I put up is I want to, I want to mentor and teach our guys when they're in our building for four or five years, but I also want to equip them for the next 40 to 50 years. So we put this program together basically to provide opportunities to teach life skills and leadership ability. And if you go to the next slide, I'll, I'll get into it a little bit. We, we put together an advisory board of about eight people. I have men and women on the advisory board and they help me come up with topics that are relevant to teenage boys. And then they help me identify speakers that we bring in to talk to our guys about these topics. So there's basically two types of speakers we bring in. One, we bring them in to speak about something very specific. Like uh, this is a guy talking to our guys about nutrition. Uh, the guy in the middle at the bottom is a guy that came in to talk to our guys about uh, how to treat a woman. Uh, you know, how do you, he, he got, it was pretty real. It was a pretty real talk. He closed his door and got really real with them. Another person type people that we bring in are people who have been successful in our community. We have a local realtor, a lady who's the, the leading realtor in Mississippi that came in. And when we bring somebody in like that, they talk about success clues. So it's either a very detailed speech about conflict resolution or communication or money management or someone like Bobby Hall, one of our legendary high school football coaches in Mississippi, came in and talked to him about things that he's done that have been successful. Um, we have a mentor program built into that. And we also, um, at the end, we have what we call a date night. So we talk to our guys about how to treat women. We talk to them about how to ask a girl out on a date. Uh, we make all of our guys nine through 12 uh, bring in, um, uh, bring a date to this party. And we have a party at one of our coaches has a really nice house and they have to bring a date. And we hired a magician to come in and do a program. It was one of the coolest things we've ever done. Uh, but just teaching them how to uh, be a man, how, how to, and equipping them for the things that they're going to face in life. And somebody asked, how many, I want my guys in homeroom. And he said, are you crazy? No high school teacher wants a homeroom. So I want my guys in homeroom. So we have our baseball team, 9th through 12th grade in homeroom. Our homeroom meets three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, and Friday from 1045 to 1115. And the next slide, I'll show you a little bit about what I'm talking about. Go to the next. So this is our classroom setting. So we have a, a classroom, just like a geography classroom or an English classroom. Our guys have a notebook. Uh, we have assigned seats. We basically, the way we seat our guys is our younger guys are in the middle, surrounded by our older players around the outside. We talk to them about how to sit, what's the correct posture when you're listening. You can notice the guys are sitting on the front of their seat. They're engaged. Um, they have a notebook. We talk to them about how to take notes. We, we, and, and it's amazing, guys. At the end of the year, I'll take these notebooks, and we'll take the notes out of them, get ready to, get to, to, to re, um, refill them the next year. And I used to always throw them away. And some of the kids came to me and said, Coach, what are you doing? And so I, I, I want my notes. And so I started looking through some of the notes. And, guys, the kids that we thought were the biggest, you know, turds on our team that weren't paying attention, they were taking notes. They were listening to what we were doing. But the whole thing really is to teach the guys to have a growth mindset. Uh, this is really cool. Jake Mangum played for me at, at, at uh, Jackson Prep, and he's with the Mets now, SEC career hits leader. He was in speaking to the guys that day. But it's a classroom setting. We meet three days a week. Early in the year, it's not really baseball. It's more leadership and life skills. As we get closer to the season, it begins to flip more towards baseball. 
But I still about every two weeks, Jonathan, bring in a speaker uh, to talk to our guys even throughout the season. So that gives a little bit of idea about what we do. Uh, we have a mentor breakfast in October. Each player, uh, 9th through 12th grade, invites a mentor, excuse me, into their life. We talk to them about how to choose the mentor. We bring them in in October. Uh, local Chick-fil-A donates a little breakfast, and uh, we bring a speaker. And this year we had a guy who was a friend of mine who was a former scout for the Atlanta Falcons, uh, coached in NFL Europe and coached in a couple of Power 5 schools, came in and spoke to our guys. And then we invite our mentors back uh, in, during the year to, to honor them before a game and throw out a first pitch. They're also on the pass list if they ever want to come to a game, but they don't have to pay. And what we hope happens is they mentor these guys for, for the, the rest of their life, not just the time that they're in high school. But this has been a program that has really helped us drive our culture and has just been, it's been really awesome, to be honest with you. We've also brought in a lot of people that don't have anything to do with our school, and it's a great way for them to see who we are they're usually impressed when they come in and they see our guys. So this is another thing that we do uh, just to build that culture. Tough Fridays is something else that we created that I think is really a special program that we did. My wife, we're about to celebrate 30 years of marriage, said it was the best idea that I had. And uh, when she says that, you got to listen, especially when it's a compliment. But we were complaining about our guys being soft, like a lot of you guys are. And I'm really big on, let's quit complaining about it. Let's figure out how to fix it. And what's the solution? You know, it's kind of like the Rick Pitino quote, you know, Larry Bird's not coming through the door. So what we have is what we have. So after a tough loss one night, we're in here complaining about how soft our kids are. And we came up with this idea. And I went to one of our guys, one of my former players is a guy named Nick Reagan. And Nick is an instructor at the fire academy. We have a fire academy in Jackson. And I said, Nick, can we teach toughness to our guys? And he said, absolutely. I think toughness is a muscle. I think it's something that can be taught. And so Nick did some research, and he put together this thing called Tough Fridays. And Nick is probably the toughest guy. No, he is a smoke diver, um, which is there's only about 1,600 of those in the country. And he basically is an instructor at the fire academy for the special forces of firefighters, kind of like a Navy SEAL. And I've shared this before, but I think this is an awesome idea. If you go to the next slide, you can kind of see what it looks like. I put this up. This is actually the 12 weeks, and again – it's just not probably legible. I'll be happy to send this to you guys. But what Nick did is he put together 12 different challenges. And so on Fridays in the fall after our workout, so whatever, whatever workout we do that day, this isn't the workout. This is after the workout. We do these things. And I look back on some of this stuff. I joked around with some people on a Zoom not too long ago. I'm, I'm a little bit worried looking at now. I'm concerned that we didn't get fired over some of the stuff that we did because it got pretty crazy. The first six weeks is very individual-based. The last six weeks became very team-based. The third week we had was the lowest point that we had all year. We had a senior that really acted like an idiot. He was getting smoked in this challenge, and he had an attitude problem, and he just kind of lost it, and it kind of took all the wind out of ourselves. And, but our, our toughness coach, Nick, we call him our toughness coach, he pulls him aside and has a conversation with him. And, the kid won week 12. The growth that we did through this, guys, I'm telling you, it was one of the coolest things that we ever did. But each week had a different lesson. I know one week was listening to your inner voice and how do you defeat that negative, positive self-talk. That was a lesson week. But what he would do is he would have a, a lesson, and then he called them evolutions. And then the, evo the, the lesson kind of met the evolution. Uh, it was brutal. It was rough. We did it one day in a driving rainstorm. We went, did it one day when it was sleeting. Um, one of the things that Nick says at the fire academy that we've adopted 
is it doesn't rain inside these gates. <laughs> so he would tell the kids that. The last week, week 12, if, you, if you'll go to the next slide, I'll show it to you. Week 12 was awesome. This shows you some of the stuff that we did. Uh, we took a field trip to the fire academy. We took the boys out, let them watch Smoke Diver School, which is one of the most grueling things I have ever seen. And then week 12, he brought some instructors out. He suited the kids up in uh, fire equipment, um, mask, helmets, jacket, pants, and they did this unbelievable obstacle course, which was just brutal. Some of the stuff that we did, and we had a winner and a loser. And like I mentioned earlier, the kid that really fell apart in week three, won it in week 12, and he gave them this mask, I mean a fire helmet. So Nick has a bunch, seven or eight fire helmets that have been melted, like literally melted because he's been in these, this unbelievable fire. And he, the kid on the left, he's committed to Mississippi State. Uh, he's a dude. Um, but, you know, my earlier coaching self would have said, this is stupid. I need to spend this time learning how to hit. This kind of stuff, as I've gotten older, is more important than, than, than the hitting and the fielding because this is going to help us win games. The improvement that we've seen through this, Jonathan, has been remarkable. And then one more slide I'll kind of show you at the end what we did. Uh, at the end, we had a T-shirt made for them. Um, one of the things that said on the back is find your 60. One of the lessons Nick taught our guys was in, in SEALs, they're taught that when your body gives out or you think you're done, you're only at 40% of your max capacity, that you still have 60% left. So that became kind of the battle cry. And the only the guys that participated in this got this T-shirt. I don't have one of these T-shirts. Uh, our coaches don't have a T-shirt. Only the guys that participated in it, which would have been our players um, and our, our uh, instructors. Uh, the kids that played football, they weren't a part of this, obviously, but we, we said, hey, their tough Fridays are on Friday. They're going to play a football game. So that was their tough Fridays. So when we came back together, we had all been through tough Fridays. So this is another thing that we've done that has really driven our culture that I absolutely love. We're already working on – we've already scripted out the, the fall, and we've already started plugging in some of our – from our tough Fridays. We'll, we will do a couple of them again, but he'll recycle them. Uh, one of our summer assignments is reading uh, Jocko Wilnett's book. We gave our kids a, a reading assignment. Our theme for next year is going to be good. Just good. Whatever happens, good. Let's go. But um, some of the stuff from the book is going to be blended into our training for our Tough Fridays. As we keep talking about culture, the other thing that I have really become cognizant of are words. Words matter, man. Words have so much power. And so we, we started talking about words we use, and we started introducing this to the kids. So my dad, when I was growing up, used to say, that guy's sharp as a Philadelphia lawyer. Well, that means he dressed sharp, but there's a town in Mississippi called Philadelphia, Mississippi. And when I was 12, Philadelphia, Mississippi, the connotations I had was overalls and a farmer, you know. And it dawned on me, a lot of things that we say our kids, our kids have no idea what we're talking about. So what we did, if you go to the next slide, and I got this from Jim Schlossnagel at TCU. These are words that we use in our program. Okay. And we are very intentional in the words that we used. And so what we did, and this might seem cheesy to you guys, but we actually take a couple of classroom sessions and we talk about what these words mean. So when I say success is found in your daily agenda, what does that mean? What does that mm -hmm. look like? One of the things that we're going to do this year is we're going to make the kids present PowerPoints, and we're going to assign some of the words to them. So they're going to start taking ownership in some of these words. If you go to the next slide, I'll kind of show you what I'm talking about. So 
you know, one of the, one of the things that we, we, we say in our program a lot is what you permit, you promote. Well, what does that mean? What is the practical application of that? Okay. Mm-hmm. If I let you use smokeless tobacco, if I permit you to use smokeless tobacco, I'm promoting it. If, if I let you drop an F-bomb when you come back in the dugout, I promote it. So I've become very cognizant of this. Here's another one. Next slide is another one I'm talking about. I love this one. So this is something we tell our kids all the time. You want one in the belly or do you want one in the back? So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you need to give the kid. I mean, you know, when you need to get rid of them, but, but my point is, do you want us to be honest with you? Do you want us to tell you the truth? The truth hurts, but dead gum it instructs. Or do you want us to stab you in the back all the time? So what do words mean? And I, that's something I encourage you guys to do, coaches, to be more cognizant of your words, your jargon. I have a 72-year-old pitching coach, and he calls it jargon. What does your jargon mean? What do your words mean? But this is something that I didn't pay attention to when I was young. Um, we all have words. We all have phrases we use in our program, but letting your guys know what they mean. And when they start using them and making fun of you, then you know you've got something. I think that's another thing, Jonathan, that's really important. And then I think this last little piece about culture might help it too. Defining your standards. I had an opportunity to spend three days at Michigan last fall, which Eric Bakich is a, is a rock star. Chris Fetter is the, you know, one of the top pitching coaches in the country. Wayne Welton, their baseball ops guy, is just like the greatest human being on the face of the earth. But I saw this in their little player manual. And, you know, we all have standards, but do you have them on paper? Are they defined? Are they clearly understood by your, your people in your organization? So we put this together, and we go through this. And it takes a little bit of time, but we go through it, and we talk about it. Eventually, as our program evolves, our kids will present these standards. This is actually in their, their booklet. Um, it's in the front page, and we refer to it often. And it, are we doing all those things? No. But that's, that's where we want to go. And, you know, another thing that Bill Moziello said is culture is standards set, but it's standards met. Everybody has standards, but do you meet those standards? Are they measurable? Are they clearly defined? Um, nobody in our organization is confused about our standards. And the standard is the standard. It's not going to change because you're pissed off or you're unhappy. It's not going to change because you come into my office complaining about playing time. It's not going to change if your locker is not kept properly. The standard's not changing, man. You've sure. got to come to the standard. And I think that's a huge piece of our culture. And I Love think there may thing. be one more on here. Yep. Okay. Let's see what it is, and then we'll roll from there. I'm talking a lot, but uh, jump no, in anytime. This is great. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm letting another you know piece, this is good. Well, an, a, another piece of your, of your culture is, is how you keep your facility. And this is something that I've had people ask a lot about. Um, our, our locker room is immaculate. It, it's not the biggest or the nicest locker room in the country, but our guys take a lot of pride in how it looks. And one of the things that we do is we post a sheet. Um, there's three guys every week that take care of the facility. You can see it up there uh, to the right of the screen. And, and we try to get an older guy and a couple of younger guys. Our, our locker room is eighth through 12th grade. So we have a lot of kids in there. So everybody has a week. They have to take care of it when the, when the players leave. They have to make sure any trash is picked up, it's vacuumed, put back. And then we have a um, picture down there at the bottom that we kind of want our locker to look like it's a certain way. I know some guys even want their stuff hung up in color. We don't do that. We just, you know, you've got to have certain stuff in the top of your cubby and your drawer or whatever. And this has been really huge. But, again, it was kind of going back. This is something that the first year I was here I really had to hammer. Um, But year two and three, it just becomes part of your DNA. 
And, and what we do is if you don't take care of your space, we have an eviction notice, Jonathan, just like an apartment owner would have. And we fill it out and we stick it to the uh, locker and you got 24 hours to clean it out. If you don't clean it out, we're going to take everything out of your locker and we're going to throw it outside the door. And um, I threw a player out one time at prep and he said, coach, where am I going to dress? I said, I don't care. In your truck, bathroom, you're not dressing in here for a couple of days because um, you don't respect what we're trying to do. So this again is a piece of culture. And then the next slide is another one that kind of touches on some of that, just culture, the piece of, um, kind of marketing and branding your program. If you'll go to the next one, I'll kind of show. This is another example of just culture. This is some, some identity signs that we've put up around our facility. Again, just going back, we stole this idea from Kentucky. There you can kind of see the idea. And then this is right outside of our player development facility. But they see this every day when they come in, out, come in and out. And it's, to me, it's just branding over and over what you're trying to do. You know, you just keep selling what you're trying to do. And then I think there's one more, Jonathan. I love talking about culture, you can tell. So this is another sign when they walk in every day, be great where your feet are. Uh, we want them to, to just know that wherever they are that day is where they are. And this is also, we ask our guys to pick a point where practice begins for them and we want them to lose perspective. So this is kind of where we teach them when you're coming around this corner, this is where practice begins for you. And everything else in your life that's important it becomes unimportant. If you're having grade problems or, or girlfriend problems, it doesn't matter when you're on the field. You can't fix it. And when you leave the field, it's still going to be there. But this is another idea of culture and how it kind of, um, you know, manifests itself on a daily basis. And then that sack, that's a really interesting thing. So we guys that were just being, being soft and just really babies. And so we went on a mission trip to Guatemala this past year. We took our baseball team on a, on a, on a mission trip. We had about 16 wow. players down there. It was really cool. But this is when you go to the markets in Guatemala, any guys that have been, this is when you buy coffee, they come in these little bags. And so we hung that bag up as a reminder to put your personal feelings in that bag. So if you're a kid that's soft or, or, or is, you know, I can't use the word I want to use, but then you put them in that bag and you, come to practice and you take it in the belly, you listen to the truth, you become coachable. And then when you leave, you put your feelings back in that bag. I mean, you get them out of the bag and then you go be a baby when you go home. That has become a really cool. Every now and then somebody will say to a kid, Hey man, go put your feelings in the bag, you know? But again, <laughs> it's just that piece of culture we're talking about. Sure. Yep. So, so I did want to ask by doing this, uh, I mean, you're, they have a constant example of what it means to do all of these things. And I know that that's intentional, but have you felt like it has made a difference in taking out some of the gray area of them maybe not knowing exactly what they're supposed to do, what this looks like? Uh, and, and so they're just getting hit with it from all these different angles. And so you're kind of taking out the excuse of, oh, oh I didn't know what you meant by that. Have you seen that? Absolutely. And part of our player development plan that we're working on there's eight, there, there's actually eight meetings that take place. So every time we introduce a phase, we'll meet with the kid. We just got through doing it last week. That's another touch point to where there's a constant communication and constant feedback. And it kind of goes to the first question you asked me, do I feel like I'm hammering these guys? Yeah. But I don't apologize for it because if I don't, high school kids are going to settle to mediocrity, man. It's just who they are. Like, I've, like I said, I've got a 24, 21, and an 8-year-old, and, and I've been doing this for 30 years. Kids are no different than when I first started coaching. I hate when coaches say that. We're coaching some awesome kids, awesome generation. Are they different? Absolutely. 
the world they live in is different. The parents, my parenting generation, we suck. We created all this. When I hear parents complain about their kids, I'm like, we're the ones that did it. So I think you have to constantly hammer them. But I think what ends up happening, Jonathan, it just becomes a part of your DNA. It becomes a part of who you are. And if you ask our guys if there's any confusion about the expectations or our standards, I could bring one of them in here right now, and he could tell you this. I mean, it is who – it's not – and this isn't something that I put together for a PowerPoint. This is who we are, man. This is, this is every day. This is not, you know, some bells and whistles I put together to make myself look cool on, on a Zoom call. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you. This is something else that I love. I got this from Matt Riser at Southeastern Louisiana. And I've used this a lot. Everywhere I speak, I show this because I think it's just awesome. If you have a kid with bad body language who wants to wear the weight of the world on their shoulders, buy you one of these vests, put it in your dugout or put it in your equipment room, and when they start acting like that, make them wear it. We had a kid this year that was pitching in an inter-squad game started pouting. We put the vest on him. And I'm telling you, when you're wearing a 25, whatever, 30-pound vest and you're trying to play, it's rough. It's become a joke now. You know, our guys, will, boy, they'll get on them and they'll – you got to wear – you know, and they'll pout a little bit and then they'll start, hey, you know, I got the vest, you know. So that's a good thing to do right there. That's another part of culture that just I, – I thought was a good idea. I just threw that one in there. So I know that's a lot of culture stuff, but I love this stuff, you know. It's great. There we go. Another piece of culture is involving your players. Um, this is something I saw at Michigan. This was a, a little thing they had in their locker, which I thought was really, really cool really nice plaque and it basically told the legacy of that number I didn't realize it but Michigan's been playing baseball longer than anybody in the country this was team 153 or 154 and so what we did hey great idea so we came back and we just did something on PowerPoint I didn't want to go spend you know a hundred dollars on a plaque but we put it on a piece of cardstock and laminated it we well, this is only team eight for us so we don't have that much to catch up with and we put them in the back of the locker and the reason I put this up here for culture I think the thing you got to start thinking about is how do you tie the current team to your former team and you start building that legacy and you start understanding that we are on the foundations of other people and places like Orange Lutheran where Borbs is, he's had a lot of success. So drawing on his former players is, is an amazing thing to do for us. We don't have a lot of, we don't have a lot of work yet. We don't have a lot to draw on, but it starts tying those two things together. The other thing that I've done is I've tried to bring former players back. We had a Zoom call the other day. We were meeting every Sunday night, and we were bringing in former players to talk to our guys. Uh, some of them were dudes that are playing college baseball. Uh, one of them's a pro guy. And then I brought in some guys that played for me 20 years ago. And, you know, how does what we're teaching now in our system manifest itself when you're an adult, when you own an advertising agency, or um, when you when you go through a divorce, what do those things look like? What does it look like when you start having kids? So I think that's another thing when you think about cultures. How do you blend um, your current team with your alums? And the other thing it does, man, your your players who played in the past, they love it. They love the fact that their lot their numbers somewhere in the in the locker. But it was a really inexpensive way to kind of draw those things together. But I I think that's the last one on culture, Jonathan. I'm not sure. Okay, you wanted me to talk a little bit about individual development plans. This is kind of the IPDP stuff that we put together. Um, You guys can see that there. Uh, Again, if you want me to send this to you, I'll be happy to. But there's the nine phases that have kind of been laid out um, that that we do. And there's a different emphasis and a different measurable for each movement. Some of the measurables are objective, some are subjective. The next slide will kind of show you the first phase and how how we grade it. So 
this is actually the plan that we put together. This, and I probably should have taken this kid's name off, but this is a kid uh, who will be a junior. Um, he's committed to Mississippi State. And so the, the, the top part is we tested last week. So we did a test at the end of the spring. We'll bring them back in and test again at about five weeks in June, and then we'll test again at the end of the summer. We have our tryouts and our evaluations for our 2021 team in, at the end of July. So you can kind of see Lincoln's numbers there. Some of them, like I said, are very objective. Some of them are subjective. So a toughness grade, when we brought him in for our meeting, we talked about toughness and the coaching staff and he and, and Lincoln put, his, put it together. You know, we came up with that grade. Uh, one of the things Lincoln's trying to improve in is body language. His body language is really, really bad. Um, so you can kind of see his exit velocity, launch angle, some other things that we try to measure. And then what we do is we put together a plan for him for the next 10 weeks. Each player in our program has a drive folder. So they go to drive them and all, all of our coaching staff and support staff is a part of the drive. So Lincoln go, can go to the drive and find his plan. We also have video in his drive. And then we have another folder on drive that's everybody in our program. So we have different stuff that we drop. Like uh, we just put a really cool chart that had launch angle and exit velocity and what the major league batting averages were. So stuff like that, or if it's a cool uh, graphic, uh, we, we got another one um, that, I, that I put on there today that was impact zone, like where you hit the ball and what the batting, you know, what the batting average is in front of the plate, behind the plate or whatever. But then there's some measurables. So under his strength plan, which he's trying to get to uh, a front squat of 270, his bench up to 210. He's trying to get his 60 time down to a 6'7". So by the end of the summer, these are the marks that we're going for. The reason this is great, and it's a lot of work, I get it. This kid is an alpha. He is a competitor. And so he's not going to not hit these numbers. We got another type of kid on our team who doesn't work very hard, but he doesn't like to be embarrassed. So if he doesn't hit these numbers, he's going to be embarrassed because this testing, we post it for everyone to see. So when we come back and we do that again in June, we'll repost these numbers. We'll put it in the drive. And then at the end of July, we'll repost these. So this is something that is still a work in progress. And I've thrown this out. I know I asked Mach to look at it. Mach is on this call. And Mach is looking at it. He's going to give me some ideas. And, and all of our, you know, a lot of the guys that across the country are, are, are sending me, hey, coach, what about this? I was like, I hadn't thought about that. That's a good idea. Let's put that on there. Uh, but anyway, that's just something that we're – doing that I think is really really cool that we've had a lot of people ask about you know it really just goes back to that necktie mentality man are you trying to get better and are you swimming against the curve and trying to find different ways to do things so you know that's got a, that's that's a lot of the impetus behind this another question that I get asked a lot you want me to talk about was building a staff and you know people say well coach you got hi you you can do all this you got 10 people that are part of your staff well, guys I've been at a school where it was just me I've been in places where it was me and one assistant or one unpaid assistant. When I was at Freed Artman, we had two GAs and we worked 18 hours a day. And the fact that those guys even speak to me now is remarkable. But building a staff is, is there's an art to it. And I think in high school, I think there's three areas that you need to look at. You need to look at community volunteers, student assistants, and retired people. Um, I love the idea of listening to people with wrinkles. And if you want more staff, then you need to, first of all, you need to be the kind of person that people want to work for. I think it, good people draw good people, but I try to surround myself with people smarter than I am and I'll let them do their job. So we have two paid assistants, myself, two paid assistants. 
And then we have seven more people that are part of our staff. Four or five of them are volunteers. We have two guys that uh, played in the SEC that played three, year, three years of professional baseball who were volunteers. They volunteer their time. They love being a part of it. We have two student assistants. We have two kids that are – one's waiting to go student teach. One's a sophomore in college. And he is a director of baseball operations. And when I – people make – if you're a high school pro and college guys are hitting on our field, he's down there with them. He's running all that. He is a blast and a rap soto expert. Um, but he, he's a kid that wants to go into coaching. And then I think the other thing to look at is your retired people. Uh, my pitching coach, you can see in that picture, obviously you can tell he's 72 years old. Uh, he's been coaching for 52 years. And he was a Division I coach at a SWAC school, Mississippi Valley, for 17 seasons. And he was talking about driveline the other day, Jonathan. And he said, heck, that was the stuff Mike Marshall was doing 30 years ago. I've been doing that for 30 <laughs> years, you know. And, and, and so when you talk about building the staff, man, be creative. Find, find ways to get good people involved in your program. Clearly define their expectations. And get the heck out of the way. Like, I don't, I don't deal with our pitching very much. I don't do a lot with our hitters anymore. Uh, I'm kind of the base running guy and the defensive coordinator now. That's kind of what my role is. And it allows me to do what I'm good at. I'm not a great hitting guy. Um, Justin Smith, our associate head coach, he's really good. I get out of his way. I let him do his job. So, anyway, that, that's kind of my thoughts about putting the staff together. And then the next slide will kind of show you how we define those roles. I think – and this is – this is an example of the past year. It's going to look different this year. But I think one thing that you can do is really get very intentional and very clear and deliberate about what the roles are and communicate that with your guys and hold them to that standard. Uh, you can see there that I do most of the stuff because I have two stuff and I coach baseball. Our two full-time assistants teach, but they don't have as much. And then you can kind of see there our volunteers, don't have a lot I don't ask them to do a whole lot they don't they don't work on the field they don't do laundry they show up and coach baseball and they go back to their family so um, I give them a lot of gear I try to take care of them when we can we have them over to eat uh, you know I always get them a Christmas gift I always get them gear at the beginning of the year uh, we have a year-end party where we get them all over the, the, the everybody you know the kids and you there you know 40 kids in our house and we eat and we share a meal together uh, but I just think the biggest thing is being appreciative of them and, and giving them a role and letting them do the role. I think that's the big key when it comes to, you know, coaching and your coaching staff. You talked a little bit about practice, and I don't, I don't know how much of this you want to get into, how much time you have left. But, um, you know, biggest thing day. with the practice – well, biggest thing with practice, and, and I think Moziello, again, I just – I think Bill is one of the best. And, you know, one of the things he and I have talked a lot about is just practice what happens most. And for us in high school – I think of it like a, a, a piece of the pie. And I was with some friends last night talking about base running. We were talking about the vault system and the momentum steal and, you know, something I'm thinking about introducing. But anytime I got to go teach something like that, that takes time away from something else. So my point is practice what matters the most in your system. I'm a pitching and defense guy. I believe that's what wins. The one thing kids are going to do is, is hit on their own. Uh, Sherm's on this call. Sherm's a hitting guy. They're going to hit more than we do. It's more important. So it's not right or wrong. There's just different ways to do it. But to me, practice what happens the most. And I, one of the things I love about Kai is, you know, I've been doing partner drills for 30 years, so that's not something new. But the thing that Kai has done is Kai has taken what really happens in infield play and he's shown it to us. And it was kind of an epiphany for me to realize that you know, the second 
largest percentage of outs came from fly balls. I didn't, I, I would have, I think it's 17%. I would have guessed nine or, 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 or eight. So to me, it's, it's so easy now to realize that, you know, most of the balls that a third baseman gets have top spin. Well, I kind of knew that, but I didn't know the numbers and the data and the metrics that he has given us have allowed us to structure practice better. And the thing I always ask coaches, is, if you only had 30 minutes to practice, what would you do? And what would you do? For me, I'm going to move and I'm going to play catch. That's it. Kids are probably going to hit on their own. If we pulled all the guys in here, the answers would be different. So to me, there's not a right or wrong answer. But do what you do the most and practice what happens the most. This next slide will kind of show you how we get into that. As I'm creating practice, I'm structuring practice. I use this form. Um, I've had this probably for 20-something years. But each week on Sunday, and I've, I've said this before in Zoom calls, I have a routine on Sunday. I get up. I go eat at a local breakfast place. I go to church. And then immediately after church, I go to the office. Uh, my wife knows it. My kids know it. That's where I'm going to be. I have a routine that I do on Sunday, and the big part of the routine is planning out the week. So I'll script out the week. I'll talk to our coaches and staff. Uh, but this allows me each day to better plan our practice schedule. But this is probably the most important thing I do each week of planning practice. So I'll script it out, and then I'll take that form and go to the next one, Jonathan, and then it'll evolve into this practice schedule. Um, the practice schedule looks the same pretty much the every, every day in terms of the, the skeleton of it. Uh, up at the top, I started numbering our practices too, which is something I used to not do. Um, but I do that now for, for uh, you know, when I want to look back on it. And I have a folder on my computer now, spring, you know, 2019, week one, week two, week three, and I just dump them all in there. So I've got them for, for a long, I used to put them in a, a binder and have them on my shelf, but now it's electronic. But anyway, any kind of announcements, early work, we don't do early work every day. Uh, our seventh period begins at 2.30. And we have our ninth through 12th graders. We don't have our eighth graders um, during seventh period. So that's a lot of time that we'll do early work or pre, we call it pre-practice early work. It's actually the kids are, have just gotten out of school, but instead of just starting practice, we'll do that. We practice eighth through 12th grade during our mini camp and our five weeks, the first five weeks of January or in February. When our season starts, our junior high guys split off. And the junior high has their own practice. So we kind of run it early like you guys would in spring training. Um, it's a, a very much a spring training format. Uh, we have all of our, our staff. We may have 10 staff members there that day. So it's pretty awesome. They're learning our terminology. They're learning the words that we use. The biggest change for junior high guys, the high school guys, is the rhythm and the pace of practice. They're learning that. And quite honestly, the eighth graders, we use them like managers. They do a lot of – they feed a lot of machines. They chart a lot. Um, they will do the defense and the base running. They normally don't hit with us. Uh, so we may have 40 guys on a practice plan in a, in a typical day, but we're probably only going to hit 15 or 16 guys on the field. Um, that's also another um, reminder. Of your, if you're not on the field hitting in that top 16, you're probably not in the top. You're probably not going to play. That's another touch point of, hey, you know what? You're probably not going to play a lot. Um, practice for us begins what we call every days after we pray and we meet we go into our every days which for us is our warm-up routine and our throwing progression and the reason we call it every day is we do it every day every single day uh, we usually have a base running segment that particular day it was just base running we were working at first base a lot of days we have positional defense but that particular day our positional defense happened before practice because we got our volume ground ball work in during our early work 
we had some outfielders doing some early work that particular day too. We had some guys throwing some bullpens. We had some guys hitting. So our, our positional work had already happened that day. And then we went into our team defense. Uh, we actually did a live offensive session that day, and then we went into what we call smash practice. And then down at the bottom, you can see our post-practice plan. We lift after practice. Um, I'm a big believer in that. I think it builds toughness. And I also like the idea of having all of our guys in there at one time. But that's a typical practice plan for us. That will change from day to day. Uh, we may not have early work. Once we get into the season, we don't do early work. We go straight into practice. And our practice time is reduced considerably. Um, we may only practice an hour and a half, especially late in the year. When we get to late April and May, it starts getting hot. You know, we're, we've played 30 games. Uh, we'll back off on our practice. Still kind of do the same things, but just less time. The next one is our smash practice. And this is where I think we're a little bit different. This takes a ton of time to do. It's not for everybody. But instead of having predetermined groups or, you know, you got four groups and you rotate through, which is fine. We, we individualize it. So we have this particular day, you can see we have five periods of practice. All the guys' names are listed, listed on the side. So we can manipulate the practice individually. Um, you know, we, we may have a guy that, that doesn't hit. It's not, maybe he's got a, 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 a day four pin, or maybe he's got a drill session in the bullpen during period one. He may do or not do all the hitting that day. Or maybe we have a guy who's struggling defensively and he needs two sessions in right field to see a ball's off the bat. Or maybe we've had a lot of rain and we haven't been able to see. To me, all the outfield drills are great, but you've got to see the ball off the bat. So the other thing that I can do too is maybe I have my starting second baseman, starting first baseman, and my starting right fielder. I want to make sure I have a group of lefties if we're going live balls that day off the bat. We very seldom take ground balls during – our smash practice, um, we do a lot of heavy base running during smash practice. And we have about four or five different smash practice routines that we use. Um, we do a lot of dead live. Uh, we have traditional BP where, you know, guys, our coaches are throwing, but we do a lot of stuff off the machine. So we'll vary that from day to day. Over to the right, you can kind of see what the routines were that day. Uh, our field progression um, was just a basic smash practice that a lot of people do. Uh, we were working some base running in there, too. And then we had some bunting over on the side. We had three, three different things going on in our player development facility. And then our defense that particular day was just live. We were just working live reads. So that kind of gives you an idea of that was our second practice of the year, uh, preseason practice two on January the 7th. So that can kind of give you an idea of what we did that particular day. This is our pitcher's post-game recovery. We script this out in – on Sundays when I do our practice plan, this is uh, – we do it in three-week in increments, but I usually only post one week at a time. It kind of shows you what we do with our guys. So our guys will know their throwing program pretty much for the next three weeks. And we build it off of our inner squad. So you can see week two there, the red, we inner squad it on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday that particular week. Um, our our, our post-game recovery is, is – um, I really like what we do, but basically – Day three is a drill day, and day four is a pin day. And then a lot of our guys will throw a day six pin as well. This was early in the year, so our pitch counts were, were not real high yet. Uh, but you can see the first kid there. He threw a pin the first day back in January. Now, keep in mind, I think that was week seven or eight of his throwing program. He threw a pin four, which is what a lot of you guys would call a side day uh, on, on Friday. And then he threw an inner squad on Tuesday. 
Um, he probably got on the mound on day six, and sometimes on day three on the drill, our pitching guy will have him get on the incline and bring the catcher up if they're working on maybe a breaking ball or a changeup or something. But I, I really like this because it keeps us on track on a daily basis of what we got to do. This is uh, an idea that I got a long time ago that I love. This is our clipboard. I use these legal clipboards. So my practice plans on the front. And then that's my practice master on the back. That's our warm-up routine. That's our throwing progression, all of our drill work. So the reason this is great for a lot of the guys that are on the call is if you have limited staff or volunteers, maybe they can't be in a meeting every day, this kind of franchises your drills. So, you know, I know if we're going to do Commodore defense, I might have a guy who's been at work all day, you know, pouring concrete. He shows up for practice. I don't have time to explain to him what we're doing. That drill is explained on the back of the practice schedule. There's been times, guys, where I didn't have enough coaches where I had to have a senior outfielder run the defensive drills that day. So he's got a little car that's got what he's doing on there. And I, I, this is just a really good idea, especially if you have limited staff and limited resources. That's something that, that I use on the back of my – that's actually my – I just threw my clipboard down to the picture of it. And that's a kind of a copy of what it looks like. That's the infield. So we have one for infielders, one for outfielders, one for catchers. And we have one for pitchers. But our pitcher throwing program is more uh, based on um, what day they are in their, their recovery. One of the things that we're adding to this that's come through all this COVID stuff and all the Zooms I've been on is um, we're going to implement a mental portion into our practice schedule every day. So the mental stuff will go at the top of that. Um, I've talked to Sheets a lot about kind of a daily mental curriculum that we're going to add. So that'll, and then we're going to add some Tanner Vasley is a rock star outfield guy and I, I've, I've learned some stuff from him we're going to put on there. So we're going to change some of this. This is constantly growing, but that kind of gives you an idea of what it looks like. And then just measurement. Big fan of Peter Drucker. Things that get measured get managed. Um, some of the charts that we use, and I've shown these before, just some ideas of how we manage. John, if you'll go to the next one, I think it's got, I've got the infielder chart on here. So we chart every ground ball, really simple chart. Um, throw an error, field an error, X, web gym. Uh, we have our eighth graders, every time we take ground ball, every ground ball is charted. We, we, we take it after practice. I have, if you'll go to the next one, I'll show it to you. I have a master sheet. I'll post it right outside the locker room. There's a board. We have a board for offense, defense, and pitching. So we have everything posted, our bunting numbers, our hitting stuff. And the thing I love about it is it lets us, A, keep track of ground balls, how many ground balls we're taking. Um, the way we do our volume ground balls, we can take 300 ground balls in 15 minutes with a hack attack. It's pretty easy. Um, it also allows me to see who our best infielders are. Because a lot of times, you know, my thing is I want to get my three best infielders um, on the field. I don't, you know, I don't want my backup second baseman being my third best infielder. So it lets us do that. It also lets me head off some playing time issues. So this is another one. And then there's one more on there. It just kind of shows how we do our offense. Um, this is something that we do every day when they hit. It's a little complicated. We're actually just going to go to a plus minus system next year. And then I think there's a couple more, Jonathan, if you want to go through those. And then that's just some numbers that we posted that allow us to show our measurement, some of our metrics that we get off of Rapsodo. And then I think there's maybe, let's see if there's one more. You asked me about year-end to-do worksheet. This is something that we came up with a couple years ago. Just kind of for you guys that want that, it's really good. I'll make sure I'm doing all the things I need to do at the end of the year. So, um, anyway, man, I think that's it. Now, that's a lot of stuff. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think you got a few questions for me, so I'm I'm ready, man. Yeah, and and I, <laughs> I I can personally tell you this is the least work that I've ever done in a podcast, and I'm just sitting over here. Well, just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you're, yeah, it is. And, and it's, and it's fantastic, but I, I want to commend you too, because I know that, that you're working hard and that, that I know you, that you feel like you talk the whole time, but I will be the first to tell you, uh, as a listener, this was fantastic. And I appreciate you going so in depth because again, you saw the feedback that you got on social media just by posting a few of those things. And now they can actually go back and see what all the different things that you did within those different things that you're doing already. So that way they can pick and choose what they need, pick and choose what they want. Uh, but yeah, let, let's get to a couple of questions. And again, I, I commend you for, for being able to do that. Um, let me sure. get to it just a second. So Dustin asked, could you touch on the mental side of the game a little bit, coaching daily routines? You, yeah, you said can that you, you were going to imp, implement that too. Can you show everybody so I can see? Can you take it back to, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oops. We have not been real good at the mental game. Um, we, we actually introduce it in the classroom. We talk about uh, equipping our guys with tools or whatever, releases, routines, but have not, not been great at the actual day-to-day implementation of it. Um, one of the things that we're committed to, we're going we're gonna to take five to ten minutes at the beginning of every day to actually work on mental game. And right now what we're thinking about, you know, one of the things that I talk to Sheets a lot about when – when um, he spent some time with Jaeger was, you know, two days of breathing, two days of visualization, two days of self-affirmation. So something that is a daily um, rehearsal of mental skills. Um, so I'm still working on it, you know, and if anybody has good, good curriculum, good ideas with that, I'm all ears because that's something that I think through this COVID thing that I have is we got to be better at that. And, you know, out and use one of the things that you've got to do, especially with young kids, is you've got to be able to get them from emotional thinking, you know, when instead of just reacting emotionally, have some kind of mechanism that will help you process so you can make a rational decision. And that's something that's going to follow them the rest of their life, too. So um, we're trying to get better at that. But that's kind of what we're doing now. Well, while, while we're spitballing a little bit, I was listening to a podcast. I listen to Michael Gervais all the time. It's fantastic. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he had on Sue Inquist, who was a UCLA coach, won like a kajillion national championships. And she said during practice, and this is something that I was like, why did I not do this before? And so something that they did in practice was they would have a failure recovery station. And so they would practice what they would do when they would fail at something. So like, for instance, uh, you just struck out. Okay, so t- go to the dugout take off your gloves and learn how to release it during practice. So that way they didn't do it during the game. And then also like as an infielder, she felt like the reason why people react bad is because they don't know how to react any differently. And I thought that that was, they don't know how to, they don't know how to release it without looking because we're, especially teenagers, they are so peer pressured into doing things. And so one of the first things, and I'm sure you've noticed this is like kids will do anything to do anything that they can to not feel embarrassed. And so whatever, whatever they have to be able to reduce to release it. So like their infield thing was like, they made an error, they'd get the ball back, they throw it back to the pitcher and then they would physically like uh, tap their chest and say, Hey, that's my bad, but I got you. So it's like, it's taking ownership of the moment 
but then saying, Hey, I've got your back right here. So then, then the pitcher would reciprocate. And so that would take out some of that fear of embarrassment of like, Hey, you let your team down, but it's okay. We're, we're all in this together. And that, that was something I was like, I don't know why, I don't know why everybody doesn't do that because we all gripe about the kids that, that do that. But are we actually giving them like you with the culture, you're constantly putting up stuff and taking out those gray areas and excuses on how to act. Now this is, does the same thing for that failure recovery, which I thought was fantastic. Love that. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm looking for a pen to write that down. I, I, yeah. She goes recovery. really in depth with, no, that's, depth with that's, it uh, with Michael Gervais podcast. And I, and oh, I was man. like listening to it as I was running. I was like, Oh, I got to screenshot this and go back and listen to it again. I've listened to it like two or three times, but that was really, really good. And, and I, uh, something else that, that I know that you're really big into team cohesion. Do you teach uh, like communication of the game within the game? So I'm thinking, you know, we talk about kids these days, but they play a lot of games with a lot of different team members. And, and like looking from the outside in, you can tell who knows the game just by listening to them talk uh, and listen to them in between pitches. Is that something else that you guys teach? Do you, do you go over things like that? We try. Um, we're not real good at it. You know, I, through this COVID stuff, I, we talked to a coach one night and he gave his guys some assignments to watch the game and write a report or just to try to make them watch baseball. One of the things that we started doing that I got from, uh, I was watching a documentary about Duke basketball. If you guys haven't seen it, it's awesome. It's like a four part series. And one of the things that coach K talks about there is teaching guys to communicate and they do it during their warmup. And so we implemented that. So we make our guys, it's kind of corny and kind of cheesy, but they'll have to say like go Hawks or, if we're doing uh, lunges, they'll have to yell out lunges or stay down or ball, 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 just baseball talk. And it is unbelievable how our guys won't do that. They feel embarrassed or intimidated or they think it's cheesy. Our older guys will do it. Our shortstop right now, one of his things in his IPDP is to become a better communicator. So the thing that Coach K was talking about is they practice that really loud communication in their warm-up routine. And if you go back and you watch it, it they talk about how Zion didn't like, it was kind of weird for him when he first got there, but he's trying to teach them to be comfortable communicating. So that's one thing we did. The second thing that we that's did really this year, good. yeah, I thought it was awesome, is we talked about, um, we actually had a classroom lesson on intent, dugout intent. The old Brian Kane list of, here's what we can say, here's what you don't say. How do you celebrate success? And so, yeah, I think it is a part of what we're not good at it, but we're trying to teach it because our guys, I don't know, know, I don't want to be the 50-year-old guy, get off my lawn, but I don't think guys watch as much baseball as I did growing up. And there's a whole lot more of it on television than when I was growing up, and they don't. So they're they're maybe not picking up some of those things that – like I used to could imitate every hitter in the leagues. I guarantee you not one of our players could. I'm not complaining about them. It is what mm-hmm. things that I think we've done a little bit. But I'm thinking about this summer giving them an assignment to watch this game, watch two innings of this game, and write a report. Like, give me a one-page report. I've thought about doing that. I know some people do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Hopefully. Pete Savage in, Re- in Reno did, did mm-hmm. that with his kids. And I thought, man, that's a great idea, man. Yeah, pizza stud. Hopefully we'll have some games to <laughs> write about. Yeah, Korean baseball uh, right now, right? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And that's, uh, we actually have a kid from Union who uh, graduated uh, maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, so before I got there. Uh, but he's over there pitching, which I thought was pretty cool. He actually did an interview, uh, which, which was really neat, and 
uh, sent it to our head coach to send to the guys, but, but it was really neat. And, um, but yeah, it's uh, for the listeners of, of on YouTube or on the podcast, if they want to get in touch with you, uh, what would be the best way to do so? Yeah, I, my, my email, email address is cbox at heartfield.org. So C-B-O-X and heartfield spelled H-A-R-T-F-I-E-L-D dot O-R-G. Uh, my phone number is 601-896-4177. And uh, I'll be happy to um, respond to you or reach out to you. I try to answer anybody that emails me, any, any text or phone call. and Anything I have, I'm willing to share. I mean, it's probably... Um, stolen from somewhere else anyway so i'll be happy to to share if it helps i love it well i'm gonna i'm gonna let you just talk to to the listeners and, and talk to just the guys and gals that again are listening but is there anything else that you'd like to tell them before you go no man you know one, the only thing i think that you asked me is um what's a what's a piece of advice i would give to not just a young coach but any coach and there's a couple you know first of all um be where your feet are you know, I think that was something that when I first started coaching that I didn't do very well. I was always looking for the next job. I was coaching for the next job. And I think what's important to know is that where you are is your interview. And if you're not where your feet are and you're not pouring into your kids and your program and your school and your community, you're, you're, hurting, your, you're hurting yourself and you're hurting your kids. Uh, so I think, number one, be where your feet are. I, I think the second thing is um, – you know, I love the Jimmy Stewart quote. My mom told me, you can either be really smart or really pleasant. Be pleasant, man. Being a know-it-all, I was there one time, and, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter, and, and I'm reading Twitter, and, you know, I tell our players and our coaching staff, if it's not light, bright, or polite, don't put it out there. And the stuff, I mean, I'm embarrassed at some of the stuff that just the hitting Twitter and the arguments, and it's like, come on, guys. I mean, we're, we're hurting. We're not helping our game. You know, we have – I'm going to get on soapbox, but we've made baseball a country club sport. And it's embarrassing to me. And I think a lot, the way a lot of our guys behave, and I'm talking about some pretty good dudes out there on Twitter, it's just hurting us more. It's not growing the game. It's not spreading the game. So, you know, be where your feet are, man. Be a dude where your feet are and be positive. Like, especially right now, we need people in our game that are positive and and there's a lot of different ways to do things. And, there, you know, a lot of, most of these guys on here, they're doing the best they can. They're trying to be great coaches, and especially anybody that's on a podcast. And if somebody's not, if, you know, there's guys out there that are hiding behind these accounts and trolling, and, man, just brush them off your shoulder. You know, move on. You know, lines aren't concerned with opinion of sheep. And so, you know, that's, that's the two things I think when you're talking about, especially young guys, is be where your feet are and, and, and be positive. Grow the game. Don't, don't, don't be one of these guys that's out there, you know, attacking and criticizing people. That's not helping anything. We're, we're, we're hurting our game instead of helping. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which could include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.